series through these uh, hot summer months on how-to from the book of Psalms. And I really hate to start a sermon with a downer. I really do, because it looks like you are already down, as it is. So, but let me tell you, it's going to get good at the end, all right? The bad is going to turn into good here in just a little bit. But my sermon today is how to cope with bad news. And we know about bad news, do we not? It happens to us almost every day. For example, the phone rings in the middle of the night, jolting you from bed. An impersonal voice on the other end says that your teenage son has been in an accident and they need you in the emergency room immediately. That's bad news. Or how about this? A friend stops by after work and says, I hate to be the one that tells you this, but you need to know. I saw your husband with another woman last night. That's bad news. Or or what about this? You're in one of those hospital gowns sitting on the examination table, and the doctor comes in and says, we found a spot on the x-ray that doesn't look good, and so we're ordering more tests. That's not good news. Or what about this one? Your boss calls you in one Friday afternoon and says, I'm sorry to tell you this, (laughs) but we've been losing money over the last two quarters and we're going to have to let some people go. That's not good news. Perhaps the six most dreaded words in the English language are, I'm sorry to tell you this, or I've got bad news for you. But guys, let me tell you, you cannot avoid those words because sooner or later, bad news is going to come knocking. Hmm? Every time the phone rings or the mail is delivered or the doorbell sounds, it could be bad news. I don't have to tell you this. I think you already know it. We live in a cursed and fallen world where 90% of the headlines is the report of Bad news. Sometimes it seems that the headlines of our heart suffer from a similar percentage of evil tidings. In fact, I believe the biblical character Job certainly felt that way. One morning, a messenger dashed across the field with the news that the Sabaeans had attacked his herds, killed his workers, and captured his livestock. That meant that That morning, in an instant time, his business had collapsed and all of Job's income was lost, spelling financial ruin for him. And while that messenger was still speaking, another messenger ran up with the news that a lightning bolt had just killed his prized sheep and killed all of his shepherds. And while he was speaking... Another brought him word of another disaster. And then came the most stunning news of all. All of his children had been in the eldest son's house. A violent storm came, blew the house down, and killed all of Job's children. (laughs) Dude. And then the doctor sat down with Job and told him he had an incurable, miserable skin disease that was eating him alive. 
Now you tell me, how in the world does a person deal with wave after wave after wave of devastating news like that? I suppose most of us would admit we don't respond very well to bad news. Can I go get you another cup of coffee? We don't, do we? We don't deal with bad news very well. I, I, I spell bad news P-A-N-I-C. <laughs> I panic when I get bad news. I get sick at my stomach. Fear, anger, and depression tighten around my throat. And I think all of us in this room would admit we don't have enough inward strength to bear continual waves of bad news. Do we? But the other day, as I was reading through the book of Psalms, I happened to cross this passage of Scripture that just, I mean, it was one of those aha moments in my life. I'm telling you, church, this single verse that I'm going to share with you today and the corresponding chapters that go with it literally changed my life. It is an amazing passage of Scripture. It, it deals with this very subject of how to cope with bad news. It comes from Psalms 112. And in Psalms 112, God is talking about the man or the woman who fears God. You've got to get this, okay? Because it, to understand the verse, you've got to understand the context. And Psalms 112 is talking about the person, the man or the woman, who fears God. Are you with me? Psalms 112 talks about the man or the woman who fears God. And it says this in verse number 7, Psalms 112, verse 7. The man or the woman who fears God will have no fear of bad news. Come on. Wow! That is awesome. He will have no fear of bad news. His heart is steadfast because he is trusting in the Lord. That verse changed my life. It tells me that I don't... Bad news is coming. It's going to come. But I don't have to fear bad news. Now, Psalms 111 and 112 are twins. I've, I've, I've started calling them twin sisters. Right? They are amazing. In fact, in, in the Bible I'm reading out of today, here they are side by side. And I don't know if they appear side by side in your Bible or not, but they're twins, identical in format and layout. Both of them have the same number of verses, and that is 10. They are both written with the same format. If you read Hebrew, you would easily see that every line begins with the next letter in the Hebrew alphabet. And so they're identical twins. The writer is dealing with the subject of the fear of the Lord. And in Psalms 111, he tells us about the Lord who is to be feared. Come on, man. God is to be feared. He's holy. He's awesome. He's the King of kings and Lord of lords. So Psalms 111 talks about the God who is to be feared. Psalms 112 tells us about the man who fears the Lord. Apparently, I got a lot more excited about this than you're getting right now. But this, it really is. This is awesome how it all fits together. Psalms 112 begins with a glorious and unusual expression. I'm reading it out of the NIV. It begins with the words, praise the Lord. Say that out loud with me. Praise the Lord. 
That's actually only one Hebrew word. Hallelujah. Say hallelujah. hallelujah. Say it again. Hallelujah. One more time. Hallelujah. Man, y'all are sounding good. I can remember when I was a little boy growing up at the Westside Free Will Baptist Church, we sang a little song that went like this. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Some of y'all sang that same song. I don't remember you being at the Westside Free Will Baptist Church back in 1960s. Huh? But yeah, it's a great little song. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. And then it would go back. Praise ye the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. They, they never gave me a solo in the little kids' choir for some reason. But you know what? That is exactly how the Hebrews said this word. The word hallelujah is a hyphenated word. Hallelujah and then yah. The first part, hallelujah, simply means praise. And the last part, yah, was the name for Jehovah God, Yahweh. So literally this verse meant praise Yahweh. It was a very sacred phrase, and it was used very sparingly in the Bible. In fact, there are only two. And don't y'all love it when I count to two? There are only two books in the Bible where this term is used. One of them, of course, is the book of Psalms, and it is found numerous times in the book of Psalms. And then the word kind of disappears, and it doesn't reappear until the announcement of the second coming of Jesus takes place in Revelation chapter 19. When the angels of heaven shout, hallelujah, because the day of the Lord has come. It seems to me that this is such a high and holy word that it is only used at the holiest of times. Well, here in Psalms 112... The psalmist has uncovered something that is so wonderful and awesome that it causes him to exclaim the most sacred word, Hallelujah! Praise the Lord. Well, what is it he discovered? Look at the very next phrase. Praise the Lord, blessed is the man. Now, that word blessed is a word which implies the happiest and most wonderful of human conditions. In fact, one translator translated it this way. Oh, happiness belongs to the man who. In other words, in this world of bad news, and again, we live in a world of bad news. In this world of bad news, the psalmist has discovered some news that is so good that he can begin his morning shouting, Hallelujah! Praise the Lord. Well, I'll tell you what, that piques my interest because I usually don't start my day that way, do you? Huh? What in the world is the good news that he has stumbled upon? Well, let me read Psalms 112 verse 1 says, praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who finds delight in his commandments. So the happy, confident, positive person who goes around with a hallelujah instead of a heartache is characterized by two things, fearing 
and finding. Look at the verse again. Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who finds delight in God's commandments. He fears the Lord, and because of that fear, he finds great delight in obeying the commandments of God. Whoo! Man. So it led me to this truth that I want to share with you right now. This is a truthful statement, no matter uh, what time period you're in or what kind of person you're dealing with. This is a true statement for all mankind for all ages. And here's the statement. Fearing God always leads to an obedient faith. Now chew on that for a minute. Fearing God always, always leads to an obedient faith. On the other hand, failing to fear God always leads to a convenient faith. Guys, there's a world of difference between a convenient faith and an obedient faith. And that is what frightens me. We live in a day and age of convenience. We don't have to draw water from a well anymore. We just turn on the faucet. Thank goodness for that. We don't have to light a fire anymore. We just push a button on a thermostat. And the cool thing about the thermostats up here at the church, I can do it from long distance. I can be in another state, pull up the little thing on my phone, and change the thermostat in this room. We don't have to go out and hunt game anymore, clean it, and cook it. All we have to do is pick up a phone and call Domino's. You, you don't have to get up and go change the TV station anymore. You just have to push a little button on the remote. Or I understand some remotes now, some channels, you, you just talk to the TV. And it changes it for you. Isn't that great? It is, man. I'm, I'm, I'm glad of it. Until we apply it to Christianity. You see, the Christianity of many people today can be characterized by a Christianity of convenience. And believe you me, it is very difficult to pastor a church in this kind of environment. Now, why is it difficult? Well, because you have to make sure that everything is convenient for everybody. <laughs> it, it's tough, man. It's a different day. And, I, you know, I swore up and down when I was a young preacher I would never say anything like this. But I'm over 55, and I can say whatever I want to now, I guess. I've learned that from some of you. You get to say, you know, you just, uh, old people get to a certain age, they can just say whatever they want to. Now, I didn't mean to say that, but it just kind of, that just kind of vomited out of my mouth. But isn't it true? Let me go back to my point here. I, I, I said I would never say this, but here I am saying it. When I was growing up, back when I was a kid, let me, let me tell you how it was when I was growing up, in my, at least in my household. When Sunday morning came around, guess what? We were at Sunday school and church on Sunday morning, and we were drugged back to church on Sunday night. And then on Wednesday nights, guess where we were? We were back in church. 
And when we had those two or three week revivals like we used to have back then, every night, guess where we were? We were back in church. I mean, it was, it was not a matter of, is it convenient? We just did it. Why? Because we were taught it was the right thing to do. But a lot of people today say, don't you love it when I do this? A lot of people today say, well, I'll come if it's convenient. And if they're blessing me enough. And if enough people talk to me. And if the music is good enough and the preaching is interesting enough and if people speak to me and if I don't have anything else to do and if I'm not too tired. Others say, I'll tithe if it's convenient and if there aren't too many other bills to pay and if I don't see something at the mall that I like more. And others say, you know what, I would take in that unwed mother or visit that sick man or take supper to that needy family. But you know what, it's just not convenient this week. This Christianity of convenience has arisen, in my opinion, because we have lost the biblical concept of the fear of the Lord. You think about that. I told the first service that it just kind of came back to me when I was preaching this sermon an hour and a half ago. I, my very first church was in Fort Worth, Texas, the Western Hills Church, little bitty tiny church. I was a seminary student. We didn't have many people there. And so anyone who came in the door of that church, I was nice to because <laughs> we needed people, man. I mean, we just, you know, and uh, I'll never forget the first year I was there, this young couple came and they were, they were young professionals, really dressed nice, had a couple of little kids, and uh, I was just so delighted to have them. I thought, man, this is, this is going to be an awesome couple, great addition to our church. They came for a couple of weeks, and one Sunday morning, I had this awesome sermon. It was actually on Abraham, and it was on the fear of God, that we have to have a holy, reverential fear for God. And so at the end of the service, this little shotgun building, I was standing in the back, and I always shook people's hands when they walked out, and uh, here she came. Now, I knew she was in charge because the husband was dragging behind with the kids. And, but here she came, man. And she, I mean, she, you can just imagine. But. I could just tell something wasn't right. And I stuck out my little hand to shake her hand, and she wouldn't shake my hand. And she said, with her, I'll never forget her expression and, and her words, You don't really believe that, do you? And she said it like that. And I said, I mean, <laughs> what are you talking about? She said, that, that thing about fearing God, you don't really believe that, do you? And I said, well, yes, ma'am. She said, well, I'm not going to raise my kids in a church where they're taught to fear God. And I said, well, it's in the Bible. And with that, she stormed out, and she was gone. It's in the Bible. Guys, please follow me here. We should love and cherish God as the friend that he is. My God is a merciful God. He is full of grace and mercy, and he extends that mercy. He is long-suffering towards us. 
He loves us. He doesn't want any of us to perish. He is a God of grace. And his son Jesus is my best friend. But that has to be balanced with the fact that he is a holy and just and righteous God. And we need to have a reverential fear for him because he is God Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. Wait, have you ever stood on the edge of a canyon? To say the Grand Canyon. I can remember going there years ago and standing on the edge of the Grand Canyon, kind of peering off. And man, I mean, if, if you slipped and fell, you would tumble through the air for a mile before your body was dashed on the rocks below. I mean, it, it, it is a thing of beauty to stand there, but it's also pretty scary. You know what I'm talking about? It really is beautiful, but it's scary. And when nobody was looking, I kind of inched back a little bit, you know. <laughs> Because it, I mean, it really did, it, 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 it made me dizzy, and, and I wanted to get away from the edge because of the sheer immensity of it all. And honestly, guys, I believe that should be our attitude and how we feel about God. Our God is breathtakingly beautiful, yet He is awesome and He is frightening. And I'm, a, I'm here to tell you, whenever God appeared to men in biblical times, the reaction of these men was always the same. There was a petrifying sense of terror and fear that came upon them when they got into the presence of Almighty God. When Moses saw God in the burning bush, he removed his shoes and he hid his face. When Abraham encountered God, he stretched himself out prostrate and listened to the Lord. When Isaiah saw God in the temple, he cried, Woe is me, I am undone, I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. When Daniel saw God, the Bible tells us that all strength left him. But here's the cool thing, from that point on, their faith was no longer a faith of convenience, it was a faith of obedience. And here's the key, the fearing of God had led way to following God. Now, when a person decides that he is going to fear God and follow God, what happens? Well, go back with me to Psalms 111, verse 10, the last verse of Psalms 111. Here's what it says, the fear of the Lord, that's what we're talking about, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who follow his precepts have good understanding. To him belongs eternal praise. So, follow me here. When a person develops the fear of the Lord, he begins to see God for who God really is. He begins to recognize the lordship of Jehovah God. He feels the sense of the glory that Christ really is King of kings and Lord of lords. He falls before the Lord in reverent surrender and abandon. And then he begins to see things from a different perspective. And guys, that's the key right there. You have an encounter with God. You see God as God really is, that he's holy and righteous and just. It changes the way you think. 
you begin to see life from a different perspective. This person, the Bible says, begins to gain wisdom, and he gets good understanding. That means he's got some common sense coming to his brain now. Huh? And that causes a number of changes in that person's life, which are detailed in Psalms 112. I don't have time to deal with all of those changes, but one of them that we're dealing with is found right here in verse number 7. Again, our key verse says, He will have no fear of bad news. His heart is steadfast, trusting in the Lord. So in other words, and here it is, listen to this, the man who fears the Lord follows the Lord. Are you with me? The woman who fears the Lord follows the Lord. And as they follow the Lord in strict and wonderful obedience, their perspective on life begins to change and they begin to recognize truths like this. There is no problem that is too big for the Prince of Peace. There is no crisis that Christ can't handle. There is no kink in life which the king can't control. No, the man who fears the Lord begins to recognize that no harm can befall him unless it goes through God first. Unless God allows it. He begins to realize that all problems are temporary and even bad news can't overwhelm the good news of our winning gospel. Not even death itself can threaten the man who fears God. Why? Because our God conquered death and the cross through the crucifixion and resurrection of His Son, Jesus Christ. The Christian may feel his stomach tighten at bad news. And occasionally we might be frightened. But ultimately, we have nothing to fear. It's kind of like the old timers used to say. The man who fears God has nothing else to fear. <laughs> During World War II, a transport ship was taking Sherman tanks to Europe. They encountered a violent storm on the Atlantic Ocean, and the great ship was tossed in these mountainous waves. Down in the bowels of the ship, these Sherman tanks broke loose. Each one weighed from 20 to 30 tons, and they started rolling back and forth, and they were crashing into the walls of the ship. The ship was suddenly in desperate danger, not from the storm outside, but from the instability inside. That's often the problem with most of us. You know what? Storms and high seas can't sink us. But that inner fear and instability put us at great risk. We get into stormy weather and the Sherman tanks of fear and worry and depression and anger break loose inside of us. And we just can't deal with bad news. We fall apart. We crumble. Years ago, when I was in Pine Bluff, uh, my mom and dad came to see us one week. And that weekend after I preached Sunday morning and Sunday night, we got in a van. Whitney was just a little bitty baby, little girl. So it was Angie, Whitney, and I, mom and dad. We got in this van and we drove to New Jersey. Drove all night to New Jersey. That's crazy. That's crazy. 
My sister and brother-in-law and their three kids lived in New Jersey. So we went to see them. And after we rested up a couple of days, they took us to New York City. Never been to New York City. I wanted to test their salsa. <laughs> so they took us to New York City. We spent all day there. And, and I remember seeing this gigantic statue of Atlas in front of the RCA building. Atlas, as you know, is a perfectly proportioned man who, with all of his muscles straining, is holding the world on his shoulders. Yeah, right there he is. Man, that's awesome. That's what a man's supposed to look like. I, I, I wished I had abs that looked like that. But they're as strong as Atlas is, the strongest man in the universe. There he is, man. He's got the burden of the world, and he's straining. What, what you may not know is right across the street from the RCA building is St. Patrick's Cathedral. And there in St. Patrick, Patrick's Cathedral, behind the altar, is a shrine of the boy Jesus. He's eight or nine years old, and, and I think we've got a picture of the boy Jesus. There he is right there, little boy Jesus. And, and look in his left hand. You know what he's holding in his left hand? That's the world. Man, I'm telling you. Does that say anything to us about the way to handle bad news? I mean, we can try to be like Atlas, and, and we can try to carry the world on our shoulders and bear the weight of the burdens of life ourselves, or we can say, you know what, I'm just going to trust the good Lord. I'm going to trust Him. Whether the news is good news or bad news, whether it's rainy or whether it's fair, I'm going to trust Him. Why? Because He's got the whole world in His hand. He's got me. I'll tell you, if you haven't had any bad news lately, just get ready because it's coming. This life is full of bad news. I'm telling you, you can't handle it on your own, but you can handle it when the good Lord is handling you. So today I've got to ask you, are, are you a believer in Jesus Christ? Have you given your heart to Jesus? Have you surrendered to the Lordship of Christ? Do you look at Almighty God and realize that He is King of kings and Lord of lords? And yes, He is a God of grace and mercy, but you know what? He is also a holy God, and I need to have a reverential fear for Him. And because I have that fear for Him, it changes my perspective on life. And I know that everything is going to be okay because I'm trusting Him and I'm not living a life of convenient faith. I am living a life of obedient faith. So today, gather up all your problems, all your bad news and bring it to the good, healing Christ who can take what's bad in your life and make it good.